0: Hello, everybody. This is your Talks at the Cross, the official podcast at of the Cross Point Church. We're very excited today for our second part interview with our brother David Contreras, and we're very happy that he's uh, taking the time and opportunity today. I believe that God is going to use him in a mighty way to talk to many of us that are dealing with a lot of issues that he has been able to Uh, reach out and help many and we're so happy that he is with us today and uh, he will be uh, at the end of the show also talking about his official podcast, uh, Cheek Dog Dog Assist and some other uh, things, venues that are going on and we're so excited today and welcome uh, Brother David again to this uh, second part interview. We're so happy for taking the time to be with us. Thank you very much Bishop Sabano. It's 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 an honor and it's a pleasure to be on your show once again. So we're gonna go ahead and get started on part two. Uh, Part one was a tremendous blessing, uh, Brother David, as uh, we we were able to uh, get to know you a little bit more about an hour uh, of beautiful testimonies, of beautiful experiences, some inner reaction also. And so we wanna pick up where we left off. And I know there's people that are listening today that are wondering, and uh, this episode is gonna be uh, the continuation, and like we mentioned before, we'll be touching and we're planning to have uh, Brother David on at least once a month and maybe even more when we have an opportunity and Brother David thank you again and you can go ahead and, and uh, start where you left off last time.
1: Where we left off Bishop was um, I start new life okay and and then I leave new life. Uh, I was 24 years old and I remember it was 1984. Uh, no yeah early 19 early 1983 going into 84 and, um, and I committed a fault, but it wasn't a, a sin, a big sin. It was a fault that I committed. And because of that fault, I remember feeling so guilty about it. And it wasn't, it was a fault. But because I grew up in the, in, in, in the church back then, um, I felt so guilty about that fault that all I had to do was just mend it. But I felt so guilty that I called my father. It was a night. It was a 1984 Thanksgiving. And I tell him, dad, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. And this is what I did. And and he says, David, it's not even a sin. It's a fault. We could overcome it. But because of the way that I grew up, you know, growing up in that era. and, And trust me, when I say in the Apostolic Church, I am honored to have been raised in the apostolic assembly it was a blessing for me it gave me the ethics that i have today the morals that i had to that i have today you leave a penny there when you come back that penny will be there i will never steal um it gave me it made me the man that i am today um but things have changed and And I'm not bashing any religion. I'm not bashing the Apostolic Assembly because I want to make sure that's clear because my father, my grandfather were were ministers, were bishops, were elders. Uh, My grandfather was part of a group that built the biggest church of Mexico Apostolic Assembly that's not Catholic. And your father was part of that, too, Bishop. And so I am honored to say that I grew up in that that world, that environment. But, you know, I forgot to mention, you know, when I was, like I told you, when I first went to high school and uh, there was very few Christians and I started having Bible studies and all these guys started, Marky, Caesar, Joey, Banco, and, and I could go on with names and they started coming to the Lord because we were part of, we were the Apostolic Assembly in San Isidro. We didn't have an English ministry. And all these kids going back to 1975, 74, that I would have Bible studies at my house. I mentioned it on on the last interview. You want to know more about it? Watch the last interview. So all these kids, we didn't have English speakers at our church. So what I did, I reached out to a a, a pastor that was opening up an English church in Chula Vista by the name of Eddie Sandez. And he had uh, several... Uh, of his relatives and friends who had gone to the UPC Bible College in Stockton. And they had come back from Stockton, Robert Sandis, and there's some others. I don't remember their names. has been so long. But they came and they had an English-speaking apostolic church. Later on, they became UPC. So they come and I was looking for somebody to come and teach these Bible studies in English because we were a Spanish-speaking church. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is that We got Pastor Sandis to get Robert Sandis, Um, it doesn't matter, I'm trying to think of the other names, there was uh, several others that helped, but they were fresh out of Bible College from Stockton back then. You remember that, right? Yeah. Stockton was like the big thing and Hayward was a big thing back then, you know, you go to Bible College. So they come and they start teaching the Bible studies at my dad's house. My dad was, uh, I think he was an elder back then. So they start teaching Bible studies. Next thing you know, they have 15, 16 young men at my house, and they're all they all want to get baptized. They all want to serve the Lord, but they're all English speakers, they're all white guys, they're all Chicanos who don't speak Spanish, right? Gilbert Molina and Lopez, and it goes on. So, so they end up getting baptized in this apostolic church, who within months left the apostolic assembly and they became UPC. And Pastor Sandez did a great job as a pastor there in Chula Vesa, his church prospered and so forth, but they all left. So now these guys that I brought to the Lord, now there's no division, but we used to always debate. And there was two things that we debated on the things because, like I said, shortly thereafter, once these young men and young ladies, Sue Dunn and a lot of them got baptized, they became UPC, so they wouldn't wear the veils. So we would always have debates about the veil because the veil was a big thing, right, right? right? And and that, but the second thing, and it was nothing, but you know what, to us, it was fun and it was, you know, uh, it was cordial. But right, one right. debate that we would have, it was called praying through praying through. I don't know if you've ever uh, people my generation will know what that means. Yes. He prayed through He prayed prayed through through, Yes. Yes. and praying through back then I don't know if it has the same meaning today but back then at 15 years old to the age of 24 was if you left the Lord you were allowed to come back and get down on your knees and they would lay hands on you and then you would pray through that sin. Now the UPC was teaching that but the Apostolic Church was not. Right. I grew up in the era where uh, they would use, uh, in the book of uh, Hebrews, if you know, if once you know the truth, you let the truth been better for you never to have gone back. And I'm probably misquoting that, so please don't judge me on that. But what funny. I'm saying is, and then there was another one, I think in Timothy, you know, you're like the pig that went back to the mire. And they would use all these scriptures to basically tell you that if you committed a sin, know certain mortal sins and then nobody could tell you what the mortal sin but my dad and all the other ministers would come in and say fornication is one of them adultery is another one murder is another one so and according to the scripture it's blasphemy of the holy spirit blasphemy of the holy ghost but they put these categories so we would have debate so the young man that i brought to the lord now we're literally debating because they're saying, you know what, if I sin against God, God will forgive me. And then I would immediately throw Hebrews, throw uh, Timothy, throw uh, throw uh, uh, another one was, uh, I think it was uh, Titus. And we would have these debates. But I grew up in that era, you see, you see, Bishop, where yes. you knew that if you committed these sins, there was no forgiveness. You were doomed. You were doomed for life. So as I'm going up 15, now I'm in 1984. I committed a fault. It wasn't fornication. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't murder. It was a fault, and there's no need to get into it. Right, right, it right, was right. a fault. No, it wasn't thieves. It was nothing. I didn't steal nothing. It was it's just a fault, and because of that, I felt so guilty that I basically I moved from. If I left San Ysidro Church, and within 24 hours, literally. Thank God for my sister, Rachel, and brother, Sam Valverde. They took us in. My family, literally within 24 hours, we move over there. And while we're over there, my heart began to get hard. And I think what what killed it was about four months later, Sam had just gone, was the pastor in Fontana. This is back in 84. He had just gotten the church, and he only has maybe 30 members, if that, or maybe less. And he's preaching. He's asking me, Dave, because I was a soul winner. I mean, I ran New Life. I was my dad's assistant pastor. I mean, I live for God, but now I live under this guilt and I'm confused because I didn't believe there was any forgiveness and it was nothing. But because of the way that I was raised to believe that I had no forgiveness. And like I said, I didn't commit those things that I mentioned, but my guilt basically started killing me. My tia, uh, Virginia, had died during that time, about three or four months later. We come back to the funeral, and, and I'm trying to heal while I'm at Sam and Rachel. And Sam and Rachel, they're my angels, I'm telling you. I'm trying to heal, but I'm having a hard time because my guilt is overcoming me. And when we go back to this funeral, and the church is packed, I think it was in Sandy Cedar, I don't remember exactly. But as we're there, I hadn't seen people in the church because like I said, I got up overnight and left because of my guilt. And it was here, you know, it was here. But it was how I was raised to believe at that at that time. And, uh, and I remember that uh, we're there and during the funeral, my wife sends my daughter, Monique, to say, dad, dad, uh, mommy wants you. Because back then in the apostolic church, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other. It was very rare, and if an hermano sat with his wife, afterwards they'd all be laughing at him, saying, oh, it's Mandilon, you know? That's right. (laughs) So, you know, but the men on one side, it's very funny how it was back then. I don't think it's like that anymore, but families didn't sit together back then. So, um, you know, the Dorcas are singing. My tia had died, it was an angel. My tia, Virginia, was an angel. And I'm in the funeral, my daughter comes, she goes, Papa, uh, mommy wants you outside. So I go outside and my wife is weeping like I never seen her weep before. She goes, we need to leave. And I looked at her, I go, why? She goes, we need to leave. I go, okay, so we get in, we had a 19, uh, we had a small little uh, uh, Ford Focus, or so Ford uh, Escort, little red one. So we get in the little car and we leave and she's crying. So finally halfway through from San Isidro to, to, uh, to Fontana, we're driving, she finally stops crying. And I go, what happened? She goes, I go to my tia's funeral. I have to be there. She goes, we need to leave. So halfway through, she finally stopped weeping. The kids are weeping. My daughter, Monique and Vanessa are driving. And she goes, you know, she goes, you helped a lot of these people. Their sons were drug addicts. Their, their husbands were drug addicts. And, and I'm not saying it because you helped them. I, and I looked at her I go, God helped them. She goes, but God used you, used us to help them. She goes three people that I love, that you baptized, that you married, came up to me and they go, are you okay during the funeral? And she goes, yes. She goes, well, we heard that brother David, me, uh, had been arrested crossing the border, uh, drugs, and that his father shipped him out of the state and you were now living in Arizona. My wife goes, that never happened. She goes, well, we heard that. Another hermana came up to her. She goes, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. Well, we heard that Brother David got uh, the pastor's uh, secretary pregnant. And my my wife goes, no, that that never happened. She goes, well, we heard that she's having a baby. That never happened. So my wife now is getting angry saying, are you kidding me? None of this ever happened. And the third one was somebody came up to her and they go, are you okay? She goes, yes. Well, we heard that Brother David got a a sister pregnant uh, at the church and was having an affair with five other women. Finally, my wife, and that never happened. Finally, my wife looks at them, tells my daughter to get me. And I remember uh, Bishop driving. And as we're driving, I am getting angry because none of that ever happened. And I'm thinking, these ungrateful people. And, And I didn't do what I did to expect nothing in return. And as I'm driving, I look at my wife. And I remember during that time, I never cussed. But i remember i looked at her and i said the f word and i'll I'll never forget that i go f them and everybody in this world i will never ever ever step a foot in a church ever again and i remember driving and i was it was no longer guilt anymore now it was anger Yes. A month later, I got hired with the Department of Corrections and I started my career. But it's funny how we debated that. But, you know, you know, Bishop, and another thing I wanted to say that my father throughout my life um, was from Mexico. And and I'm telling you, those that are listening, that our fathers hug your kids, tell your kids that you love them. Yes. If you're from Mexico, whether wherever you're from, break those chains. The first time my father ever hugged me and cried with me and told me, I love you. You know when it was, Bishop? The day that I committed that fault and I'm leaving the church and I'm leaving everybody overnight. My father broke down and he hugged me. And those words I will never forget because they came from the bottom of his heart. You know his son was leaving and he wanted to tell me god god has already forgiven you didn't do anything but because of the way i grew up i had that guilt i had that shame that i couldn't live with and um and that's the day that he broke down and you know later i found out that my dad changed my dad now was bringing back people that had left the lord the prodigal sons my dad later but god circumstances Use me to break my dad, to break him, to make him feel compassion for the prodigal son. And you know, Bishop, after that, yeah, I started my law enforcement career for thirty-six years. Right there, that's when it started. A month later, I got hired at the Department of Corrections. We moved out of my sister's house. We moved to San Luis Obispo. And for 36 years I lived without God because I condemn myself. I literally condemn myself. Um I, I'm not gonna get your 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 listeners, they don't want to hear, you know, that uh, Mayo Sambada put a contract on me, they had to move me from one place to a whole to a hotel where we had the whole floor because there was hits on me. Uh I worked cartels, I worked prison gangs, I've worked uh internal affairs. That's not important for your listeners. I think what's important in this interview, I've done several interviews where I talk about my life in law enforcement, is for 36 years, I lived without, with guilt. I lived with pain in my heart. And you know what the saddest thing is, Bishop, is that when my dad was dying on January 8th of 2009, as he's laying there, uh, I whisper in his ears before he took his last breath, and I ask him forgiveness. I go, "Papa, perdóneme, perdóneme, por favor, que nunca fui el pastor, el ministro, nunca seguí sus pasos en el ministerio." And I'm saying that I was weeping, I was crying because I felt so much guilt and so much shame, you know, and and and. Like I said, I don't know if I mentioned it in this interview, one day shortly after his death, I'm working the gang unit. No, I'm in intelligence now. Before that, I see an old drug addict and uh, I see him in the streets and I'm working. I'm the sergeant in charge of the unit. We're driving into an area. And I tell my, my partner, stay in the car. Uh, it's a gang unit, it's always a two-man unit. And I get out of the car and I talk to this man that had been in the program. And I tell him, hey, listen, put your hands up. Didn't lock your fingers, I'm patting them down. I feel the needle, I go, do you have any needles? Yes, he goes, I have it in my pocket. Okay, you have any dope? Well, I can't tell you. I know he does, but at, he puts his hands down and he looks at me and he goes, brother David, he goes, I remember when I was in your program and you taught me how to debate the Catholics the Jehovah witness the Assemblies of God you taught me about Jesus name baptism you taught me about speaking in tongues you taught me about the oneness and he went on and he goes but you never ever told me about the grace of God oh, and you. and and I remember looking at him and it was like a literally like a punch just yes. uh, it was in the gut and I look at him and he goes I want you to know pastor I know I'm loaded right now and I know that I'm high on heroin. And he goes, I just want you to know that God's grace loves me, that God's grace overlooks my faults and he sees my need. And I remember seeing him and you know, like this was like in 2008. Yes. Cause I was still in the gang in when I, I went to gang to uh, intelligence and I'm looking at him, but it stayed in my heart. And I tell him, hey, man, take it easy, brother. Hey, give my regards. I had baptized him. I had married him. I baptized, I think, uh, his uh, brother-in-law's, the Limon family. They're very famous in, in Sheltown, very famous. And I let him go, and I get in the car, and my partner looks at me, Jack Diddlow, and he goes, he goes, what, what happened? I go, no, nothing. But but Bishop, it stayed in my heart, stayed in my mind. And and like I said, you know, uh, and I live with that guilt. And then my dad passes away, and um and I don't change my life. I continue drinking. I continue doing what I'm doing. The only thing that I wasn't doing anymore that I did at the very beginning was committing adultery and fornication and everything else. By the time I met my second wife and I lost my first wife, I lost the house. I lost my kids, but I never lost my kids. Let me reiterate that I never lost because I will I've always and it will continue to be a very responsible and loving father to my kids. I don't have a problem hugging them and telling them that I love them and I'm very close to my kids, so I get remarried in 1995 and I've been faithful to my wife, but you know, but I still was, you know, very violent, very uh, uh, condescending to the world full of uh, uh cynicism i didn't trust anybody i think that's what made me a good cop because i everybody was guilty in my eyes and i was very good at what i did and i say that humbly but i was very good because to me everybody was guilty i was very judgmental i mean uh, i'm investigating a, a Shooting, I'd go to the house and I'd look at everybody. Everybody's guilty, and then and then I basically from going to guilt, I basically defined it back down. Who's who's my real killer? Who's my real? If it's a homicide investigation, shooting or whatever, and so I continued. And uh, after my father died, things got worse actually because I I started feeling that I was I I was addicted to adrenaline, and that's one of the uh, symptomologies of PTSD. One of them is being addicted to adrenaline. You always want to to do something exciting, Uh, something that basically, you're basically a lot of times um, on a suicide mission. You can't do it yourself because I was miserable without God. I really was. Um, Everything was a facade. And uh, another thing is cynicism. You're very cynical. You start getting hate toward people. You start getting hate toward everybody, even your own coworkers sometimes. You start being judgmental. Those are signs of PTSD. And at the same time, another one was, I wasn't having the nightmares yet. I wasn't, I didn't even know about PTSD at that time, Bishop, because I was just going back then, I was working in Mexico, I was traveling all over Mexico. During a a five-year stay in this intelligence unit, I brought back 17 homicide suspects, homicide suspects that killed people in New York, Green Bay, Los Angeles, Long Beach, 17 murder suspects and and i'm talking about we went into ranches with the military went into ranches with the judiciales federales estatales and i was my job was a very dangerous job i crossed that border every day and even then when i did come close to death throughout my career maybe three or four times where i go okay this is it i always did that sinner's prayer you know I would immediately say, "Señor por favor, si he pecado contra Ti. Uh, uh, con Tu gloria." And I thought that that moment that I was okay, and then I was invincible again. If I died, I'm going to be with the Lord. You know what I mean? I lived like that for many years. That last sinner's prayer, and I always remember that. I remember one to Well, I'm not going to get into the, the the incident. There's no need. But I remember that uh, during that time, and then from right there, I got transferred out of, out of intelligence to narcotics, and I worked major in I had a lot of great informants uh, from, uh, from diff- all the different cartels, uh, uh, Nueva Generacion Calisco, Sinaloa, Arellano Cartel, and so forth. So yes, Bishop, uh, here I am saying the sinner's prayer, and I made my own little prayer. You know, Señor Jesucristo, perdóname si he pecado contra cielo contra ti, por favor, llévame contigo. And it's by the grace of God, Bishop, that uh, I am still alive today. It's yes. by the grace of God. And I'm not going to get into the, the scenarios uh, where, you know, uh, I almost lost my life, but it was by the grace of God. Now we go forward. Uh, after I retire, uh, I don't know, I have PTSD, but I'm, I have all the symptoms. Uh, I can't be in a large group of people. I can't have people around me. I go into a restaurant. I always pick that chair and I'm looking at the door. Who walks in? Anything that I'm paranoid, but everywhere I go, I carry, even today, I carry a gun everywhere I go because that's how we were taught to to protect and save people. If, you know, somebody goes into a store, starts a massive killing, I'll be the first to take that guy out or he's going to take my out. But that's how we as police officers are trained, yes. whether you're on duty, off duty, retired or active, that's, we have that inside of us. We're sheepdogs. We're there to protect. So I, I start, uh, I, I, retire in, um, February 24th, 2015. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to adrenaline Bishop. I'm, I'm um, right after I retired, I had a full knee replacement or my right knee. And that's a long story how that happened. And, um, so now after I heal two months later, I'm a cage lion. So I need adrenaline fix because that's one of my uh, PTSD symptoms, adrenaline. Yes. So uh, I start working out like crazy. Even today, I work out twice a day, sometimes six days a week. That is part of my healing process. Okay. And, and, and what happens is I open up this PI company in Mexico. I I start working with a lot of very famous people. I saved, I did a lot of uh, threat assessments, uh, kidnapping cases, and I saved a lot of people. A lot of um, very prominent people were my clients. Uh, Very famous people were my clients. So in 2019, uh, something happened in Mexico. We were approached by uh, one of the major cartels, basically gave us an order to work for them. And I said, no, they didn't know what the word no was. So I tell my wife, it's time to give up this business. And I give the business to my business partner, a former detective sergeant with San Diego PD, a homicide investigator. And I tell him "Uh, it's time for me to leave. And I moved to Florida to write a book. And uh, a book about basically my life experiences as a police officer, my cases, a lot of very interesting cases. I get here and I start writing my book. And it's one day Bishop, that my wife and I are walking on the beach And still, I haven't said the word Jesus Christ. I haven't called out to God only when I was getting ready to die or when I would use it to manipulate a suspect. If I got a call, for example, I'll give you an example. I got a call of a child molester and uh, he lived inside a trailer park, white male, 35 years old. Uh, never been married but he has all the PlayStation games and one of the neighbors finally called where mexicana calls the police says I think my son's been molested and I get there I interview the young man and uh, my next, Thing to do i interview him i uh call our detectives out they're interviewing him and they say go pick up the suspect go knock on the door i walk in I'm, as i'm talking to him i see pictures of jesus christ throughout the room and uh the last supper so i go i told him you know why i'm here for well, i don't know what you're talking about but as i'm talking to him i saw the I like well, he's religious so now i use jesus christ And that's when I would use God, Uh, when I would arrest a homicide suspect. And I knew that no matter how much I talk about their victim, about the families, they didn't care. But the minute I talked about condemnation, talked about God, forgiveness, they would give it up, you know, say, yes, 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 yes. I I committed that murder. Right. So those were the only two reasons that I would ever use the name Jesus Christ. So so now I'm living here without God and having a, you know, Florida's beautiful where I live. God has blessed me beyond my dreams. God has blessed me with a beautiful wife. God has blessed me with my children. God has blessed me in so many ways before I rededicated my life to the Lord, Bishop. I mean, sometimes I'm here and I'm looking out and I'm, I'm just saying, I don't deserve this. You know what I mean? Beyond my dreams. And I say that humbly, very much humbly. And So one day I'm walking on the beach, one of my former detectives calls me and he says, Sarge, you're the last call I'm making, I'm ending it. And this young man had just retired three months before and I'm going, what do you mean it's over? Sarge, this is what I'm feeling. Uh, I miss work, I miss being a cop, I miss uh, kicking ass. And what he meant by kicking ass, the adrenaline rush, not being a cop, the adrenaline rush. I miss uh, the pursuits, the adrenaline rush. And it was then that I was able to talk to him. And by the way, uh, he never committed suicide. He is doing wonderful today. He has five jobs and he found purpose and he gave his rededicated his life to the Lord. But it was then Bishop that I started doing research about PTSD. And I was that guy that, and there probably a lot of your listeners are the same thinking that the only people that suffer from PTSD are combat veterans. I was that guy that. always thought that. I was yes, that yes. guy that whenever we had an officer murdered and the female officers certain officers would respond to the scene and they would cry and it would upset me. It would piss me off thinking don't show weakness. I was that guy. Don't show yes. weakness. Don't cry in front of people. You want to cry? Cry when we're all getting drunk at the bar or down at the, the pier or something. Then we, but we're among, among the family, but never in front of the public. So I was that hardcore cop that believe that nobody has PTSD, only combat veterans. As I'm doing my research, Bishop, I start seeing that, you know, it's not only combat veterans, it's police officers. And one of the symptomologies that I I interviewed over a hundred military personnel and police officers, I had a questionnaire that I interviewed them when I was doing my research on PTSD. And that's when I started seeing myself and seeing, You know, I don't have the dreams yet, but I do have the dreams, but I ignore them. But I have the anger, the cynicism, the uh, paranoia, the uh, basically not wanting to be around people, being claustrophobic with people. Everything that I was reading, Bishop, I started seeing that. And that's when God placed it in my heart to help people in need. But still, I didn't have that love anymore. I didn't have that love that I had in New Life in 78. In '84, I was hard. I was judgmental, you know. And 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 uh, and it was during that time that uh, I went back to San Diego because I would go every month or two visit my mother, visit my sons, my daughters, my grandchildren. That my son started going through a deep depression, and he got to a point in his life where. He was very, very depressed. He wasn't eating anymore. He weighed something like 90 pounds. And we're talking about a five foot three, five foot four young man who's been a karate expert. And he started going through a deep depression to the point where he even considered suicide or attempted suicide. And it was when I went back Bishop that I saw my son and he had an episode while I was there. And I remember as I'm seeing this when I came back to Florida, I came back a broken man. I remember my wife looking at me, she picked me up at the airport and she goes, what's wrong? Because I've always been a very close person. I don't tell people what I feel because right. as a cop, you don't want to tell them, yeah, today I responded to a young, uh, young man that blew his head off and his brain splatter was all over his wife. Today I responded to a radio call of a young girl who was raped and murdered and I found her body in a dirty field uh, under a trash can. I don't go home and talk about those things. And those are real things that occurred. So she looks at me, she goes, what happened? I go, nothing, nothing. And I was broken, Bishop. And I come in the house and I lay down. She comes, she lays next to me. She goes, David, what happened? And I broke down. I And she looked at me, she goes, you're a broken man. I go, I broke down. About two days later, um, uh, where I live, uh, we have a steam room and a jacuzzi, I and mean, the steam room and a and a, a spa, a hot spa. And I was, and I I go there maybe twice a week just to get a good sweat after I work out. And I'm sitting in the steam room. It's about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I feel God's presence. I haven't felt God's presence since 1984. I feel God's presence and that steam come in. And I literally break down and I start crying and weeping to God. And I hadn't spoken in tongues since 1984 was the last time I spoke in tongues. And I'm there by myself at 10 o'clock. Nobody's coming in. And if they did, they would have had a show. God bless them. But God's presence came into that place, Bishop. Yes, and, God. and I lifted up my hands and, and I hadn't lifted up my hands and said, thank you, Jesus. I can not even say the name Jesus because I was so bound by sin, so yes. bound by tradition, you know, that I condemn myself. And my whole life came in front of me and I saw Steve Gomez telling me God's grace, God's grace. And I saw him in my mind and I weeped out to God. And it was then that God changed my life. And you know, Bishop, and, and that was the last time I spoke in tongue. That was the last time I felt that deep presence of God. And I'm okay with that if I never feel it again, I, I don't go by feelings. I don't go by emotions. I just go by God's voice. You know what I mean? And then God, the same God that put in my heart when I was 18 years old to help drug addicts, I had never been a drug addict, was the same God that said, now put a program together and help police officers. I started with police officers. That was my goal, them and military, because I had interviewed so many of them. But then God started bringing pastors to my program. God started bringing pastors' wives to my program. God started bringing ministers. God started bringing nurses to my program. Sheepdog Assist, and I, I I basically started a YouTube channel, and I started with zero, literally with zero. And right now, I think I have thirteen hundred. But these are thirteen hundred people that it's. I don't advertise. The only thing I do is put on my Facebook. That's it. I don't ever. I don't tell anybody. But God is bringing people. But and 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 and. I, I do it for free. I put together a four-hour training for churches. It was really for police officers, where I give a training on on PTSD and so forth. But you know, Pat, you know, Bishop, one of the things that happened during this transition, God started bringing in and placing burdens in my heart to talk about people that have been molested as kids. Yes. And uh, and talk about witchcraft men and women that are bewitched. And God's just started bringing different speakers to my show and uh, addressing these issues that nobody talks about, especially being molested as children. There's so many people. There, I had a pastor, a pastor, uh, David Mora. He, he has a mega church in uh, um, Fontana. This man gets on my show as he's talking about how he used to be a drug addict. And I ask him, so where did this addiction start from? And he says, when I was molested as a little boy. And he starts talking about the molestation. After that interview, I started getting more calls from pastors, more calls from deacons, more calls from wives saying this happened to me from a 70 year old woman. This happened to me. And, and I'm telling you, Bishop, this has and now my training that I started only for police officers. I taught the first class to a group of LAPD cops, a group, a group of uh, Riverside cops. It was very well received. Then we got hit with COVID, so now I have my show. But now that COVID is over, I have this training that I start as a cop and end the training for everybody that's been molested, everybody that has seen people die by themselves because of COVID. And all they saw was a nurse holding a video as they're seeing their mother or father taking their last breaths. So, and you know, the the thing about this, God placed it in my heart not to charge one cent. I don't charge one cent. I was talking to a cop not too long ago and he goes, David, you could have charged $5,000 a class. It's a four hour class. And I go, if I do, God, God, God's grace will leave me. And that will never happen. But I just use that as an example, just as verbiage. God's grace never leaves us. But I just said, God placed this in my heart. I will never make one cent. And you know, Bishop, and I say this humbly, um, last night I didn't get a call, but usually maybe once or twice a week, my phone will ring at three in the morning because the the majority of my listeners are from Southern California. So it's, you know, uh, 10 o'clock over there. It's one o'clock over here. Yeah. One o'clock. And they're just basically want to talk and I'll take that call. I don't mind. I don't yes, mind taking yes. that call. And, I'll, and I'm will And i a one-man show. I'm the one that answers the call. If somebody calls me and I don't answer, it's because I'm talking to somebody else. And basically what I do, I do peer... I'm not a psychologist. I got my degree in uh, behavioral services. I don't have a degree in, in uh, counseling. My degree is very different than counseling, but I offer peer counseling because I know I've been there. I've done that. Yes. I've, I've, I've been there. I mean, I know what it's like to... to And you know, Bishop, one thing that happens, I want your listeners to understand this. PTSD, I mean, PTSD basically, don't think that you have to be a cop or you have to be a nurse during COVID. It's when you suffer a traumatic event in your life, such a traumatic event that it basically changes you. And when you have PTSD, it doesn't happen overnight. All of a sudden, you see somebody hang themselves. All of a sudden, you've been molested as a kid. It will stay with you. And we as human beings, we have a a coping mechanism where we basically shun it to the side. And we basically grab it and we place it inside containers in our heart. And those containers, that's called compartmentalizing. You place them in your heart. And there's a saying that says, when the music stops, that's where the pain begins. Yes. And it was after I retired, Bishop, that the pain, the, the the dreams, the triggers start happening, things that you see and they start occurring. It's when the music stops. As police officers, when you basically see your partner shot, you see uh the the murder, the rape, the 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 ugly satanical things that the devil does to humanity, you basically respond to it and you can't react and start crying and saying, oh my God, no, you react and you act accordingly, but you go on because the next day is gonna be the same thing sometimes. But what you do is you compartmentalize, you compartmentalize. And like I said, there will come a time where everything that you went through is going to come out. And it's those moments that sheepdog assist, assist stands for active critical incident stress trauma. It's those moments that you can call me. I know what you're going through. You could call me now. You know, there's a young lady, her, her, her son, her son, um, committed suicide i think it was two years ago name is deborah leon and uh, i don't know her husband's name but he's uh, from the leon family and uh she posted something i follow her on facebook she was actually on my show Talked about her, her what the pain that she went through yes. because of her sons you know committing suicide and uh he was suffering from depression suffering from uh you know different mental illnesses and uh She basically, uh, two days ago, posted something that made a lot of sense. Talked about, you know, how we grow up many times can cause us PTSD. And uh, this is one of the um, responses from a Gigi Palomera. I hope she doesn't mind me reading her post. I mean, it's public information. She posted it. After this young lady, uh, Deborah, posted this post that basically talks about growing up with guilt, growing up with shame that the church gives you, this young lady says this, when I became an adult, I chose to believe in God without the stigma of religion. I now consider myself spiritual. I grew up hearing the phrase, te va castigar Dios, in so many ways that justified bad things. For example, if someone died in a car accident, I would hear, lo castigo Dios. If someone lost a child, la castigó Dios. I just never wanted to be part of that. The the Dios that I have always believed in and prayed to would never punish so harshly. Thank you for shedding light. And then I want to read one more. This girl by the name of Elida Sarmiento, like I said, I don't know these people, but I'm reading this after I read that article. And she said that post, all true. I have yet to commit to a church. Certain things trigger my PTSD. It not only negative things, but positive things like being asked to help in a certain area. You know, a lot of times, Bishop, you can get PTSD. Like, for example, I lived with that guilt and shame, misinterpreting the scriptures, yes. thinking. And 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 I'm gonna end it with this, Bishop. One of my part of my healing process was I basically, I suffered from shame and guilt because I had left the church in 84. And everything, believe it or not, Bishop, from 84 till 13 years when I accepted the Lord as my Savior was blank in my life because I was ashamed, not of what I did, but how I turned out to be. I was ashamed of it. And after I rededicated my life to the Lord, And I started opening this program and God started shedding, taking the anger, the hate and putting compassion to help people. I started on on Facebook, uh, 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 myself and Junior Garcia's, I know him as Rod, you know him as Rod. I know him as Junior Garcia, I grew up with him. His sister Lizzie, I, I was talking to her on the phone, I go, you know, I miss those old apostolic songs. I have no memory of new life. I have no memory of growing up. So I started a Facebook uh, group called, I think it's called Southern Cal um, Memories. And we got like probably about 200 um, people following it. But I I asked, show old pictures of when we were young. Play old songs of Lanny yes. Wolf. Uh, Lanny Wolf was, was wonderful. Play, yes. old Play old songs of Los Heraldos. Play old songs of the messengers of the holy rhythm, play old songs of Andre Crouch. And watching that has been part of my healing because I went back to 78 to 74, and I see pictures of Liz Ramos. I see pictures of Ruben Villa. I see pictures of so many people that I hadn't seen in so many years, and I embrace them, you know? And with that, Bishop, I'm gonna end it with this. We've been talking for a long time. Yes. Because I haven't opened up like this in so many years. No, but, no, you know, I appreciate we show, it. Yeah. I used to always, when I was a deacon or a pe- assistant pastor of my dad's church, I used to hear them preach, and I would preach about the prodigal son. Thinking that I would never say that I am the prodigal son. Thinking that the prodigal son was that drug addict while I was running new life. Yeah, you were you were that son that went to, to prison and ate with the pigs and, and lost everything. But now you're coming back. You're getting baptized, the ring, and so forth. Thinking that they were the prodigal son. But you know, Bishop, I am the prodigal son. I am that prodigal son. Uh, I grew up in the church, I grew up living for God, and I left God, and like I said, close to two, I always say a year and a half, but in October is going to be two years. God's grace brought me back, and the God that I knew back in 84, his name was Jesus Christ, but I basically do not see him, did not see him like I see him today. My Jesus Christ back then was a fearful god was a god that basically uh i was fearing and yes i would say i love him and so forth but it was a lot of fear a lot of you know don't don't get god mad because just like this young lady says i grew up in that and i think a lot of you grew up that castigo dios you know you know what his son is suffering from depression well you know what it's a bad spirit And you know what, his daughter just attempted suicide. Well, you know what, the devil got into him. And if you question, I remember one time I was questioning certain things, and I'm not gonna bash any religion, any church, any assembly, but I was questioning certain things before I left the church in 84. And I would tell my dad, dad, why is it that the Bible says this, but yet I'm seeing this? Dad, and you know what my father would tell me? And I was his assistant pastor. He would say, David, there's a spirit of, uh, of it wasn't denial, spirit of doubt entering your mind. There's a spirit of doubt. Yes. Anytime that I would question anything with scripture. And I would say Dad, this doesn't make any sense. And he would say, spirit of doubt I, in the name of Jesus, get that spirit of doubt out of you. We couldn't question anything. Yes. The God that I know today, Bishop, the God that I know today, his name is Jesus Christ but it's a God of grace. It's a God of love. It's a God of forgiveness. And no matter what you've done, I did committed many sins after I truly left the church. That day that I'm driving back with my ex-wife and I say that cuss word, I meant it. I have never been into a church. I've been to maybe train or maybe a funeral, but I have never been into a church. That same God, to, that I know today is a God of forgiveness. It's a God of yes. forgiveness. And if you have to leave a certain denomination, a certain church, a certain group, a certain group of friends that are basically condemning you, you're feeling condemned, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Believe in the grace of God, the grace of God. there It's infinite. It's infinite. Yes, and, it and with that, Bishop, I'll end And I'll say, I would love to continue uh, maybe once a month. I could talk about, you know, uh, a lot of things, child molestation, domestic violence, so many things that are occurring in our world today that people are afraid to talk about. But I'm just so grateful. My dad died in 2009. I think that he's in heaven looking down and saying, God heard my prayers. Two years ago, like I said, in October, will be two years. uh, God's grace came over me and I am the prodigal
0: son. Thank you. Before we, we end uh, yesterday, we we wanted to go ahead and I have let you talk because it's been very deep and profound. Some of the things that you have mentioned, very personal, and we appreciate you being transparent. I know some of our viewers are going through some of the symptoms that you mentioned, yeah. have experienced some of that guilt and shame that uh, the enemy puts upon our lives, and you know you have uh, been able to, I believe, reach people that are suffering. Uh, and are in that stage of guilt and that season that the enemy would like to have all of us there and I think uh, we would be in denial saying that uh, we do not experience uh, those episodes in our lives where sometimes the enemy will make you think there's no hope for you Uh, and you know these dogmas that were taught to us and we're uh, portrayed that, you know, there's no hope uh, and there's punishment from God. God is in heaven ready to punish you. And yeah. uh, we, we knew God as a, a an old man with a whip, ready yeah. to whip us. And, and you know, it's, it's sad. It is so sad that uh, so many of us, by the grace of God, we're still standing here. Our faith is, is still in God and we have overcome. And, you know, some of these comments you mentioned from this um, person that, or these persons that have mentioned, I think there's many of our listeners out there living in that stage where yes. they feel that there's no hope for them, brother. Yes. and just like us, me and you have gone through so many things in life that sometimes now we realize that you know there were some mistakes done uh, in the way that we misinterpret scripture, the way, yes. and one of the reasons that you know sometimes um, the enemy has used this uh, spirit of confusion to be able to uh, confuse people and to keep them down and to keep them unhappy to keep them living a life of guilt of not being really of that emptiness or that you know suppressing their feelings and not knowing how to deal and and one of the things I really appreciate you being uh, sincere a lot of times you know we were taught and we demonize everything we we, and I I totally believe I'm gonna truly believe that one of my forte is demonology and liberation I've written some books on that and all over the world I've been able to pray for demon possessed people and I'm still praying Uh, just last night I prayed for somebody that had a demon and I I still believe in casting out devils and all that and that's all good but you can't demonize everything there is God has given us uh, and especially now in this uh, era that we're living with this pandemic uh, has given us uh, science has given us the medical sciences to help us and I think what you're saying here this ministry that you have and I truly believe that God is using you to reach out to many of us that, and uh, and i say i include myself because every single human being is someday or some day will or has dealt with this uh pst uh, uh, you know this post-traumatic disorder uh, any any traumatic like you just mentioned some of those things that trigger and will put you in you know and, and it's so amazing that for 36 years yeah. God's grace protected you, especially yes, you. Some of the work that you did, uh and I know you know we don't need to go into detail, but we can imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that that confession you said of the sinner's prayer, you and deep down inside your your spirit, God had deposited that that if you confess your sins, He was faithful and just to forgive you. And that's what we want to say in closing, uh, Pastor david That we do not. B- no. Bishop, Bishop, I'm not a pastor, Bishop. Yeah, well, you uh, know, I, I don't deserve not, uh, that. I don't deserve you, that title. Yes. You sometimes yeah. that's yeah. that's part of the healing process because yeah. I believe truly that sometimes God uses people that we release and you you experience of that drug addict that talk to you. I, I have said and I call those the crows that sometimes just God uses the crows to feed us. And I say that with all due respect. And you know, with some of my yeah. testimony, I was a black sheep of all the Samanos. And you know, by the grace of God, God is the one that uh, pulled me out, and I, out of being a black sheep, uh, now God took me all over the world to win souls for His kingdom. But Bishop, what I'm trying to say,
1: Bishop, do you mind if I just say something right now? You brought yes, something Yes, yes, go up. ahead. Yes, I, I think that those of your listeners, we are our worst enemy. I was my worst enemy. And like Bishop Samanu said, we blame the devil. We blame religion. We blame assemblies. We blame, we are our worst enemies because God had forgiven me years ago, but I could not forgive myself. And I think that you need to basically seek God's grace because God's grace has always been there. This 36 years of my life without God, I was my worst enemy. I'm the one that had the guilt. I'm the one that had the shame. And wow. if you want help and you can't find help, call me. I have a show called Sheepdog Assist. Sheepdog, S-H-E-E-P Assist, A-C-I-S-T.com, www.sheepdogassist.com. I will talk to you. Crazy. I don't care when you call me. Give me a call. If I don't answer right away because I'm on the phone talking to somebody else, you have any questions, any, I mean, I'm not a Bible scholar and I'm not a a huge prayer warrior, but I will pray with you. I will talk to you and I have a book of referrals that I could basically, if you don't want to go to church, that's fine. You don't have to go to church. You want to go see a psychologist? I could find the psychologist. I could find the psychiatrist. I could find the hospital. I want to be part of your healing journey. But just remember, you got to start off with yourself. You have to, because I lived with that guilt. I lived with that guilt. And I could blame it on the devil. I could blame it on this. I could blame it on that. But listen, until you make that phone call and you basically say, I need help. I
0: need help. You're going to get the help that you need. Praise God. In closing, I I appreciate that. And once again, we're going to be posting his... Um, number on the bottom of our our YouTube, um, so you can, uh, you know, the link so you can link to it. I I appreciate uh, David going into this, yeah, uh, expression of his love to help. And we're here, that's the purpose of this talks at the cross is to reach out and we be truly believe in restoration. And God is already touching and God is using Brother David, and we're partnering up with people with the same vision. We're out here to help those in need and you know one of the things that i really uh, believe and we we're old school we come from the same generation we don't have a, you know a nine to five hour whatever time you need help reach out to brother Dade. i'm sure he'll take the call if we can't help you we will refer you to somebody that can help you the main the main topic is that we are here to offer this hope where you thought there was no hope. And I like that part where you say sometimes our worst enemy is ourselves. We need to come to grips and say, it's me. It's not nobody else. And once you deal with yourself, God will open doors for you. And one of the greatest things we see this testimony here, seeing Brother David, it's a real live testimony. There's still hope for you, my friend, that you're listening. There's, there's As long as you're alive, you still have an opportunity to be able to do what God has called you to do. I, I, I listened to uh, Brother David saying some of the great accomplishments that are being done now, this experience that he has, these testimonies, and that he's sharing, it's treasure, it's gold for us to be able to hear somebody share with us these experiences, how God's grace will never end, will never leave you. It's eternal. There's no no measurement. There, It's infinite. And with that, I just want to ask our viewers uh, to make sure to reach out. We're here. Uh, Talks of the cross. We're going to have Brother David again. Uh, like I say, uh, there's other topics we're going to be talking about. If you are suffering with any of any of these symptoms, please reach out to us. And somehow, some way, we'll pray with you. We'll we'll go ahead and get you the help you need. Most of all, remember this: God loves you. No matter how far you think you might have fallen, there is hope for you. God's grace can reach down to the lowest pits or to the highest mountain. And Brother David, uh, I. want Thank you, brother. let you say the last word. Tell us, what would you say to our viewers would be the next step of their suffering from somebody? You know
1: diseases? what? First of all, realize and accept that you're suffering. If you suffer from guilt and shame, if you suffer from PTSD, if you're suffering from the nightmares, from certain things that trigger you, uh, take the first step. The first step is to realize you have a, a problem, that you're sick and it's okay to be sick in order yes. if you saw a tumor growing uh in your left arm what would you do just ignore it you can't ignore these things That's right your wife your kids they realize that you are ignoring they, basically what eventually happens when you have ptsd or depression you start depending on drugs to basically or alcohol pornography, so many other unfaithfulness, basically to cover up and mask the pain. Yes. And me, you have a problem. Give me a call. Our, call Pastor Bishop Samano. Let us help you. It's not going to cost you a cent. It's not yes. going to cost you one cent. We're not charging you one cent. Exactly. Give us a call and we will basically help you and we will hold your hand
0: through your journey of healing. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. We'll talk for our next episode. God bless you. God bless you.